This episode was originally a Patreon-exclusive episode that was released on November 24th of 2022. If you like this episode, we have over 150 more Patreon-exclusive episodes that you get access to for just $5 a month. So check that out if you want to. No pressure. Anyway, I hope you all enjoy the episode. See you next week. Of the third kind. Patreon exclusive. Welcome. First off, I want to say thank you to whomever you are listening for opening your minds to receive extra knowledge nuggets each week. It means a lot to all of us, and I want you to know that. Also, before we start, Aaron's adjusting his nuts, it seems like. I was adjusting the cord since we changed our table. My freaking knees hit the back part of the table. Since you are a Patreon subscriber, remember that you get priority in topic suggestions. So feel free to shoot those suggestions on over to us by email. And make sure you put in the email subject line, topic suggestions, so that we can easily organize these emails and make sure that your topic suggestion gets placed in the correct spot. Okay? That's right. All right. So today's episode is over the immortal baby. So how today's episode will go is that we're going to talk about a cult, which of course involves the baby, and then we're going to talk about the immortal baby itself, and then we're going to go into strange facts and findings, theories, and of course wrap everything up with our own personal thoughts and theories. And uh, something else that I want to say before we get into this episode today is that uh, it's kind of weird for us right now because we are listening to ourselves. Is that, is that the right way to say this? I mean, I don't even know. I mean, technically, yes. Yeah, so we have all of our stuff hooked up and uh, we're just, again, going through testing this week. And uh, we have our headphones in and you can hear yourself talk and it's very weird. And I, I never... I never listen to myself uh, talk when we record, so this is kind of new to me. Yeah, you know I don't like hearing my own voice usually. The only time I listen to my own voice is when I edit, so this is going to be a little, going to be a good adjustment, I guess. Practice. Yep, yep, we're getting there. Making sure everything works good, you know what I mean? Jelly bean? Yeah, found out one wire doesn't work. <laughs> oh, troubleshooting, I love it. All right, well, with that being said, hold on, I wonder what this button does. I wonder if we can hear this if I press any of these buttons. Hello. Oh, <laughs> it changed my voice. Oh, oh hold on. Oh. Okay. What if is this yours or? Hello. Oh god. Oh my god. We're gonna have so much fun with this. Hi, my name is Aaron, and welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. Hello. Oh my god. So, uh, yeah. I just want to let you know that, uh, yeah, baby. So, uh, yeah, we just found out that we have <laughs> those <laughs> settings. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Hold on. Where's our another thing? There's like, um, oh, my God. Here we go. Oh, oh what? What's this? Yeah, hold on. I don't even hear it. Oh, well, that sucks. What about uh chimes? I don't fucking hear it. What about crickets? No. So, yeah, we got this, this little, like, DJ thing. And it's, like, got all these buttons on it. And it can change our voice. and. Yeah, I mean, quite interesting stuff right there. It is. It is. It's going to be useful. All right. Well, with that being said, let's get into today's episode. In 1938, a cult announced to the world that they intended to raise a baby and make it immortal. This cult stated that under the right conditions, and through the power of the mind alone, a human being could live forever. And they planned on proving this to the entire world. A short time later, this group purchased a baby from a poor family and began the experiment. Did this cult really unlock the secrets of immortality? Or was it all just an experiment? 
that was secretly funded by the government. This is The Immortal Baby. All right. So to start this episode off today, we first need to talk about an individual named James B. Schaefer and the cult that he started. So, Dan, do you want to tell us about Mr. Schaefer? Absolutely. So James Bernard Schaefer was born in 1896 in Fargo, North Dakota. Not much is known about his childhood. However, what we do know is that he was well-educated and ended up going to college where he earned a medical doctor's degree. And just a little knowledge nugget, it was noted that he was part of the KKK. Doesn't really seem well-educated to me if you're part of the KKK. But anyway, so instead of James working as a doctor, he decided to take a little different route in life. In the mid-1920s, James ended up moving to New York and founded a group called the Royal Fraternity of Master Metaphysicians. Now, another thing that James started doing around this time is that he started calling himself the messenger. That's what he would refer to himself as. He'd walk up and say, I am the messenger. He would say, he would say, I am, and that's a wrong one. I am, that's a real wrong one. Never mind, that sound effects. He would say, I am the messenger. And everybody would be like, ooh. And, uh, Some people would be like, hey, what do you mean by that, as calling yourself the messenger? What do you mean, James? And James would turn to them and say, it's my sole purpose in life to help others so that they can help themselves. So pretty much this royal fraternity, and it was sort of like a a self-help group that he started, and he was kind of like the leader over it. So there you go. Another thing that James would start doing around this time is that every Sunday morning, he would tell hundreds of people to gather around at New York's Carnegie Hall. He would then tell the audience about his self-help group and tell them that every material on earth could be affected by the power of the human mind. Anything anyone could imagine, from good health to even a million bucks, could be made real through the power of thought alone. However, you had to allow him to teach you his master secret techniques that only he knew. So that was pretty much his pitch to people to get them to sign up to his secret group. And anyone who wanted to join pretty much could. All you had to do was pay the $250 fee, which $250 at that time is equivalent to around four to $5,000 in today's money. Damn. Yeah, so he was charging people that much to say, hey, I can help you help yourself for four to five thousand dollars. You're telling me for four to five thousand dollars, you can help teach me to unlock the power of my mind so I can get million dollars. Exactly. God, that's such bullshit. <laughs> it sounds exactly like what's freaking going. You see like YouTube ads of people saying, you want to get rich, come join my freaking group and I'll show you how to make millions on Bitcoin. That, yeah. It's like, get down here with that shit. Oh, man. Now, this payment was labeled as a cash donation. That was a love offering, according to James. Yeah, so he cut this. God damn, this is what's messed up. He would say that this $250, this fee, is like a a love offering. (laughs) Okay, James, okay. Yeah. Also, if you didn't have that cash, then that's okay, because James accepted payments in stamps. So if you had $250 in stamps laying around, by God, walk right up and hand them over, because you are now part of this group. Yeah, so initially I thought, who the hell has $250 in stamps? But then again, I thought, you know, that time period, having stamps was pretty common, you know. Anyways, uh, so once you handed over your stamps or your cash, you were then issued a fellowship certificate. Now, on this certificate, it stated that the name of the bank that issued it was the Inexhaustible Bank of the Infinite Universal Mind and that it could only be cashed in for, and I quote, ideas and everything desired with no limitations. But you couldn't cash it in for real money. But any ideas or everything desired with no limitations, besides real money. So this certificate was like an IOU? Um, it was more so like a, yeah, like a promise that states, hey, you're going to learn this. Okay. 
Surprisingly, people started signing up for James' group, and he earned quite a bit of money. Now, with earning all this money, James didn't want to pay taxes on it, so he applied for tax-exempt status as a religious organization. However, it was denied, and the judge overseeing it stated that there was nothing really religious about the royal fraternity of master metaphysicians, other than its approach to, and we quote, the solicitation and receipt of funds. So pretty much the judge said, hey, the only thing that's similar between your group and a church is that they both get money. That's pretty much it. Damn. Yeah. All right. So fast forward to 1938. Around this time, James's cult had actually grown quite a bit, and he had received around $350,000 from it. So how much is $350,000 back then? I don't know. Let's take a look. Inflation calculator. Inflation calculator. Asian mind don't work. 1938 to 2022, um, let's see, you're looking at $7.4 million. Wow. Yeah, so he earned $7.4 million. And you know what he did with it? What did he do? He went and purchased a 110-room mansion on Long Island. You heard me right, a 110-room mansion. Damn. Yeah, and just a little knowledge nugget, that uh, 110-room mansion was previously owned by William K. Vanderbilt, whose family had earned all their money from the development of America's railroads. So this is a 110-room, not 110-bedroom. They're the same damn thing. 110-room mansion. I, that's got to be overwhelming. That's a lot of rooms. That's a lot of cleaning. That is a lot of cleaning. Anyway, so there you go. So after James moved into his new home, this mansion, he ended up renaming the property to Peace Haven. James also moved in between 50 to 100 of his key followers, many of whom were unmarried, middle-aged women, which he described as being half-souls who required completion. Now, he did move some male followers into his home, and he called them the Storks. And he stated that these male followers would play a special role in the great work that was yet to come. So let's say you were a member of his group, right? You paid your $250, which is around four to $5,000 now, and you weren't invited to live in the home. Were you still able to come visit? I'd hope so. Yes, you could. However, there was a $100 entrance fee, which is around... $1,500 to $2,000 in today's money. Wait, 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 wait. Say I'm part of this group. I paid the $250 fee to join this group. But to come inside the house to visit, I would have to pay $100. Yes. The hell? Did that include meals <laughs> or something like that? I'd hope so. Now, as crazy and strange as that may seem for us in current time, back then, the community of Long Island just regarded James and his group of followers as unthreatening individuals who were peaceful, and some of them actually saw the James group as a good thing. This was due to the fact that James invested in fixing things in the area, such as replacing the broken-down tennis court, adding an outdoor swimming pool, and taking care of the lawns regularly. So let's talk a little bit more about the group itself, this royal fraternity of master metaphysicians. Now, when it came to their diet and their belief in what they should eat, they believed eating meat and drinking coffee and tea were bad. They also believed that smoking and drinking alcohol should be avoided. And you have to think, back then, you had doctors and ads smoking cigarettes saying, smoking's healthy for you, you know? little knowledge nugget here that we wanted to mention is that they did have some weird diet rules, such as no spices, vinegars, and mustard in or on your food. That's some bland-ass vegetarian food, man. You know, I could eat a veggie burger, but I had to add mustard to it because the mustard covered the taste. <laughs> so without that, I'd be like, I'm out, I'm out. You pay all your fees and they're like, no spices. I'm out. I can't take this shit no more. <laughs> I paid $250 to join. Then you made me pay 100 bucks to come into this house and you ain't got no mustard? <laughs> all right. So the people who were living at this mansion were called the Truth Students. And they had to sort of like progress through a ranking system that took them around 18 months and a lot of extra money 
to become the status of a master metaphysician. So besides the cult being similar to, uh, you know, Scientology with their ranking systems and their eating habits similar that to uh, the Branch Davidians, their beliefs were quite different than those two cults. Their beliefs, it was sort of a mixture between Rosicrucianism and Christian science. The cult believed in reincarnation and healing oneself by simply placing their hands on their leader, James. Another thing that they believed is that James could dematerialize things or people that stood in his way. I wonder if he snapped his fingers like Thanos. Well, here's the thing. You walk up, you're sick. You, all you got to do is walk up and touch James. You're healed. Sounds like this guy has a physical touch kink. Oh, good Lord. All right, no kink shame. Moving on. Also, another little knowledge nugget about this cult is that the members would often walk around the house and were trained to greet one another by simply saying, peace. <laughs> peace. I don't know if they did that. <laughs> peace. Or was it, was it like that? Or was it like, you know, the peace, bitch? Like, peace. You know, they do the little peace. Oh. Peace. Or was it like the peace be upon you like a priest peace? Oh, that's what I was doing. Peace. Or was it like peace? Peace. Anyways. <laughs> All right. So that right there is pretty much a summary of James Bernard Schaefer and his royal fraternity of master metaphysicians cult. And for almost a year after they moved into their big-ass mansion, everything was pretty quiet for them. I mean, they really didn't make any news headlines. None of the neighbors had any issues with them. Everything was normal. However, that would all change. In November of 1938, the cult unexpectedly announced to the world that they intended to raise an immortal. Yes, immortal, like someone who could never die. Now, James ended up making an additional announcement where he stated that given the right conditions, through the power of the mind alone, a human being could effectively live forever. Now, everyone who heard this sort of blew it off as it being like a stunt for James and his cult to get more publicity so that they could get more people to sign up because they were like, oh, hey, I want to live forever. I'm going to go join this cult and ultimately a way for him to make more money. Now, that was sort of like the reason why the public really didn't take him seriously. They kind of like blew him off, like I said. However, <laughs> that would quickly change once James announced that he actually was able to get a baby in his possession. Now, we're going to backtrack just a little bit. Before James made this announcement to the public of his sort of test that he wanted to prove to the public, he first had to find a baby. Instead of him just, you know, f***ing and making his own, you know, James decided to try and purchase one. So James ended up meeting a waitress in New York named Catherine Gaunt. Now, as James spoke with Catherine, he learned that she had a five-month-old, red-haired, blue-eyed baby girl. Catherine then told James that she was not in the best position to raise the child. And it was at this point that James realized that the child was perfect for his experiment. So he offered to take her baby and care for her, saying that his organization could offer her child a brighter future. Catherine agreed and handed over the child and the organization informally adopted the child in which they named Baby Jean. Now, just a side note, it's unclear if any money was exchanged in this agreement. Like we looked into it and we couldn't find that out. But what we do know is that after this exchange took place, Catherine was only allowed to see her child when the organization allowed it. Like she had to get approval to come see her baby. I mean, that doesn't surprise me. You had to pay to go see your leader. <laughs> yeah, that you just paid 250 bucks for. So after taking over this baby, the organization stated that the child would be raised to live forever and that their ultimate aim was for her to become their leader, presiding over the organization forever. Now, to make this possible, the organization had baby Jean on a strict vegetarian diet that they called the Eternity Diet and that she would only be surrounded by positive thoughts. The organization also stated that baby Jean would also be taught to comprehend the forces of evil abroad in the world and the way they worked on humanity. She would be raised to be on constant guard against these evils 
and that death and disease were the result of destructive thinking, and baby Jean would be coached to avoid such mental traps. She would be the forerunner of a new kind of perfect human, one who would in the future offer solutions to the problems facing mankind. So after that announcement, the organization went to work on conditioning baby Jean into becoming immortal. She was secluded in a private nursery within the Peace Haven property, and her every need was catered for by a private nurse whose sole obligation was to baby Jean. The nurse's name was Louise Kerfs, and she was on call 24 hours a day and had been told to only entertain positive thoughts whenever she was around the child. The members of the cult were then told by James to keep an eye on Louise and to make sure that she never slipped into negative thoughts while around the child. What you have to say, how the hell would the members know that? Are they mind readers? Do they like go into the nurse's mind and say, well, she's thinking about, you know, dick and balls again. How, how would they know that? I mean, they had her secluded into a private nursery. So I'm guessing baby Jean was kept away from everybody, but the nurse wasn't. So she would go out and do stuff. And they were supposed to just, I guess, stare at her and be like, bitch, I know what you're thinking. We think about, huh? Imagine having like a f- hundred people roam in the hallways all saying peace and then they all look at you. What are you thinking about, bitch? <laughs> you better be taking care of that baby Jean, Alita. You know, she probably felt like a lot of pressure on her, like staring at her, making sure like you're not having any negative thoughts, are you? Yeah. Uh, we actually have a picture of the nursery right here and the nurse holding baby Jean. So there you go. She holding a binky? Eh, that's what it looks like. You want that binky? You better live forever. God damn. <laughs> All right. So we do have a picture there. We'll have it on the Patreon post for you to see of baby Jean and uh, nurse Kerfs, Louise Kerfs. Yeah. So what if I was a visitor? Could I come visit the baby? Well, visitors were allowed to come see the immortal baby. However, they had to pay an ass load of money or expensive gifts. And believe it or not, people did offer some crazy ass expensive gifts to be able to see this baby. For example, diamond rings, pearl necklaces, and large sums of money were offered. Following that, the cult then again sort of was forgotten about, and no one really cared that they were in possession of a child. Like, the media wasn't reporting on it. So if they weren't talking about it, then the people thought, oh, well, it's not happening anymore. But in reality, this cult still had this baby, you know? So fast forward a year later, on July 10th, 1940, a report was published by the Milwaukee Journal that had the headline of First Year of Immortality Shows Baby Jean is Normal. And this is kind of like how Baby Jean got back into the news. So in this news report, it talked about the child's first birthday party and how it was a two-day affair with over 200 visitors who crowded the over 100-bedroom mansion. The report also said that Baby Jean appeared to be a normal, healthy, but easily distracted one-year-old baby with spinach in her hair and that she doesn't seem to have taken the philosophy of the metaphysicians very much to heart. The report also stated that baby Jean had attended James' lecture, but that she disrupted them with singing and attempts to play patty cake. How can you get mad at that? How can you get mad at that baby? It's a one-year-old baby. Of course it wants to, if it wants to play patty cake by damn James, you quit your cult preaching and you go pay patty cake with her. This reporter is just like, the baby attended the lecture, but she didn't pay attention at all. I wanted to see an immortal baby, something that like levitated or something. I wanted this baby to be there taking notes, writing all this stuff down that uh, James talked about. But nope, she didn't care. She was too busy laughing and being a baby. Yeah. So following that news report, James, his cult, and baby Jean were in the news quite often. On one occasion... James demanded that a time capsule that Westinghouse had sponsored and buried as a part of the 1939 to 1940 World Fair in New York. He said, hey, that time capsule, you need to dig that shit up. I want to add baby Jean's footprints to that time capsule. However, his request, of course, was denied. And after it was denied, James was like, meh, her footprints don't need to be added anyway. She will be the only one still walking the earth when that time capsule's retrieved in the year 6940. We kind of like played it off. You're like, fuck, 
You don't need to add her footprints anyway. She's still going to be alive, bitch. She can add it whenever she wants to after it's dug up because she's going to be alive. Yeah. And by the way, we have a uh, picture of James and baby Jean. And it shows James in a suit sitting down and baby Jean in his lap looking at him like, what the hell did you just say? And James is holding up his finger being like, listen here. All right. Real quick, though, we need to talk about one of the cult members since he plays a role later on. So this guy's name was Napoleon Hill. He was a self-help guru. And in 1937, he wrote one of the master metaphysician texts titled Think and Grow Rich. Yeah, this was a super popular book, and it was one that this cult referred to all the time. And before Napoleon was a part of this cult, he actually briefly attended business school, but then he left that. He started up his own lumber company, which failed, so he quit that. Then he started up an automobile college, which failed, and he quit that. And then he started up a candy store, which failed, and then he quit that. But it was after those business failures that Napoleon started writing in magazines, schools, and books, instructing the readers on how to thank themselves into wealth. Now, it was this belief that made him the perfect fit to become a master metaphysician, so of course he joined them and quickly became a top member. Upon joining this cult, James was immediately impressed with him. So much so that he was appointed as the positive thinking guru and the godfather of baby Jean. So there you go. That's a little quick history of Napoleon and his involvement with the group. And keep him in the back of your mind because we're going to circle right back around to him in a little while, okay? So let's talk about the writer for the New Yorker magazine, E.J. Kahn. Now, E.J. had heard about this cult and not much was known about them, so he decided to ask if he could come stay with them for a day to document their way of life. And believe it or not, they agreed. So after spending 24 hours with the cult, E.J. published an article about his time there in which he stated that they were harmless who largely kept to themselves. However, he did notice that there was this widespread belief of sort of like self-help tendencies among them and that the main text, which was sort of like their Bible to them, that they referred to quite often was the Think and Grow Rich book that was written by one of their members, Napoleon Hill, that we just talked about. Another thing that EJ mentioned in his article is that he was allowed to see baby Jean and he described her as having striking red hair with bright blue eyes. He also noticed that there was a very nervous nurse hovering nearby as he was visiting her. Now, EJ was allowed to take photographs and, this is in quotations, moving film images, aka video, of baby Jean, in which he noted that James had the one-year-old pose with a copy of Napoleon's Think and Grow Rich book as if she was reading it. There was another strange thing that EJ noticed while visiting the cult is that there was a subsection of the metaphysicians, which was the inner circle of the storks. And of course, the storks were the men that lived in the house. However, they had an inner circle. And if you wanted to be a part of it, you had to be a man and you had to pay an additional $500 for a membership. So not only do you pay $250 to become a part of the group, you have to be accepted to live in the house, which is even smaller because if you're a man, first of all, it's very low probability you'll become a part of the household. Yeah. Then you have to pay an additional $500 to be an inner circle of a circle of a circle. So it's the metaphysicians, the storks, and then this inner circle of them. And this inner circle was supposedly a secret group. And all of them had their own titles. For an example, James was called the Chief Stork. And there were other titles such as Stork Entertainment Second Assistant Chairman. That's just, you know, one of their titles. Now, something else that's worth noting is that if you were a member of this secret group, you had to wear a diaper pin on your jacket and you had to spend any of your free time not relaxing, but instead making baby clothes so that they could be given away to unwed mothers in the city. Wait, so this inner circle of men were making baby clothes? Yes, to give away to unwed mothers in the city. That kind of seems like a nice thing. It does. I mean, 
there could be like some nefarious reasons behind it, but I couldn't find any. Like it seemed like they were legitimately just making baby clothes to give away, which it kind of makes me think that maybe James saw this as an opportunity to say, hey, these unwed mothers are prime targets of becoming a part of my group. Ah. They need the help most. So let's attract them by making them clothes so they get to like us already, and then we recruit them and take their money. Ah, because they did give the baby clothes to just unwed mothers, not married and all that stuff. Yep. Okay. So after this report was published by EJ, everything seemed to appear innocent and harmless. However, only a few weeks later, a former cult member named Anna Weber ended up filing a lawsuit against James, stating that his organization owes her $2,500 for a loan that she had given them. Anna ended up winning a court judgment against James, and he promptly paid up. Following this incident, James began selling shares of his organization to the members for between $100 to $400. Also, there were a lot of rich visitors who were still visiting James in search of enlightenment. Now, during their visit, they would often complain that, hey, my jewelry had gone missing. For an example, one woman who visited James and his cult complained of losing a pair of rings that cost around $5,000 each. And she went up to James and said, Hey, where's my rings, bitch? And uh, James said, and we quote, Nothing is lost in the infinite. You can thank them back in your experience. <laughs> so yeah, he pretty much told her, hey, you didn't lose anything. All you got to do is use your mind and you can thank them back and they'll appear. <laughs> My God. Yeah. All right. So we're going to fast forward a little bit to the end of 1941. And it was at this point that the cult's experiment to create an immortal baby came to an end. Baby Jean's mother, Catherine, she set out to get her daughter back. Before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, welcome back. Catherine, she set out to get her daughter back, stating that James and his cult had tricked her into giving her baby up in the first place and that she now felt better able to care for her baby. So Catherine tried reaching out to James and the cult, but they ignored her. It was at this point that she decided to use the media to help her out. She tried painting the cult in a bad light, forcing them to return her baby. Catherine then contacted a lawyer for help. However, she quickly learned that James had never bothered to arrange for a formal adoption of the baby, and its paperwork was never done. So essentially, a lawyer wasn't needed, and baby Jean was returned to Catherine. Now we have a picture of whenever baby Jean was returned to her mother, and as you can see, they're all happy and loving on one another. Now. James and Catherine still had to go to court over the child's possessions, which was, of course, all those gifts and money that was given by those rich-ass people, such as the $50,000 diamond ring. Yeah, which, that is kind of a good question as to, like, who would get the child's possessions? These people gave this child all these rich gifts. Like, they not only paid to see the child, but they also gave gifts to the child when they saw her. So it's like, who gets them? And during the trial, uh, they found out that, hey, uh, James had been misusing the funds of the cult. 
And not only that, but they found out that there was additional lawsuits that were filed against him, such as one from the Manhattan's Lenny Kreider Associated, who had not been paid their $1,000 for publicity material. Also, James had been failing to make the $50,000 a month mortgage payments on his 110-bedroom mansion and had also failed to pay the property taxes. Hold on, hold on, hold on. $50,000 a month in mortgage payments on that... Oh my God, hold on. 1941, a million dollars a month? Why? Oh my God. Not just that though. Peacehaven, which was once valued at $1.5 million, sold in late 1942 in a foreclosure for only 22000 So yeah, that home he was paying $50,000 a month on, it sold for 22000 in foreclosure a year later. Wait, so the house, though, back then was valued at $1.5 million? Yep, and then when it was foreclosed upon, it only sold for 22000 What a deal someone got. Dude, I bet that place was, like, messed up, though, then, right? I don't know, man. I don't know. Honestly, I would not want to own a 110-bedroom home or 110-room home. Bedroom, room, same thing, okay? One has a bed, one doesn't. They're both rooms. 110-room home, okay? I wouldn't want to own it. Too much cleaning. Too much time. Too many people can hide inside the home and I wouldn't be able to find them. I'm good with my little bitty place. I check all my rooms before I go to bed. I lock all my doors, check all my closets. And he failed to pay the property taxes, which I can only imagine the property tax in Long Island or whatever for a mansion like that to be probably expensive. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So after them losing their mansion, the cult pretty much fell apart. However, James and Napoleon decided to work together on the only thing that they had left, which was their magazine that was called the Truth Digest. Now, James and Napoleon ended up talking to individuals, trying to get them to invest into their magazine and saying, hey, we can turn it into an empire, and that's what it's going to be, in which most of those people did invest. However, James ended up pocketing most of the investments rather than producing any magazines. Way to go, James. Way to go. Because of this, one of the investors complained to the police. James had charges brought up against him by the attorney general, and he pleaded guilty and was sentenced to five years in prison. So after James found out that his sentence was five years, he was like, wait, 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 wait. I didn't tell my attorney to plead guilty. I'm innocent. This entire thing is Napoleon's fault. It's all on him. That didn't work, though. The judge was like, eh, doesn't matter. Your ass is going to jail. And there he went. For the next five years, he sat there in jail. Now, you would think after spending five years in jail that James would come out a changed man. Nope. That was not the case. Upon returning to society, James continued to follow the metaphysics playbook and established a magazine of his own which focused on metaphysical issues. James started up another school of metaphysics, and it found some success, but ultimately did not fulfill what he truly was trying to achieve. On April 26, 1955, 59-year-old James and his wife, 55-year-old Cecilia, were both found dead in their car on a woodland road in New York. Before we get into that, we're going to take a break. It's our last one, so don't go nowhere. All right, welcome back. 59-year-old James and his wife, 55-year-old Cecilia, were both found dead in their car on a woodland road in New York. The police stated that James and his wife had both killed themselves by running a vacuum cleaner hose from their engine through the car's floorboard and into their car, and they both died of carbon monoxide poisoning. There was a suicide note left near their bodies that instructed their surviving daughter on how to take over and continue running the school. At the end of the note, it states that they could see no other way out of their troubles but suicide. And by the way, I just want to say, suicide is not the way, okay? If you are having uh, suicidal thoughts and you need help, please reach out to somebody, okay? The suicide hotline is 988. That's all you have to dial, just dial 988. And uh, there's people there 24-7 to talk to you, okay? And this is not a sponsorship by them. It's a legitimate suicide hotline for you to call. So there you go. Reach out to somebody. It's not, a, it's not the coward thing to do, you know? It's the strong thing to do. 
That's right. All right. Well, that's the story of James Bernard Schaefer and the Royal Fraternity of Master Metaphysicians and the Immortal Baby. However, the story does not end there. So just like every week, we're going to hop into Strange Facts and Findings. And the first one that we're going to talk about is actually Baby Jean. So we decided to look into what happened to the immortal baby, a.k.a. Jean Gaunt. So what we found out is that around 2002, it was reported that she was still living, that she was married, and actually had children of her own. However, she consistently refuses interviews and says that she is not going to discuss her past life with the cult. So that's what we know about her. I mean, she was like a year old. Yeah, I don't know how she would remember it. I mean, the first memory I have is when I was like three, I want to say. Maybe like three or four. No, 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 three. It was three. I sat on my dad's uh, 1991 Suzuki RM250 uh, motocross bike that he just purchased, and the... uh, kill switch on it was like a giant nipple and uh, I was sitting on it and my dad was working in the garage on something and he had I mean he had just bought that bike for some reason I clearly remember looking down at that nipple thing and thinking I'm gonna bite that off and I did lean down bit that fucking nipple off of the emergency stop button (laughs) my dad was so pissed I was three years old man look like a freaking nipple so there you go if you like your nipples bit Comment down below. Say, buy my nipples, Aaron. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so that's crazy. the first strange fact and finding we got, which I'm going to look real quick to see if she has any interviews. I don't think she does. I could not find a single interview. Um, yeah, I, she's very private. So good luck. If you know her or you're her neighbor and you can get an interview on the scene. Yeah, do it on the scene. We will feature you. All right, Dan, let's hop into our next strange fact and find you got a long one here. Hit us with it, all right? All right, so we wanted to see if there was like any other experiments or stuff done with immortality. Well, I ended up finding that the Nazis tried their hand at immortality during World War II. Oh, boy. Yeah, you remember talking about that one pill that they took that turned them Germans into like super soldiers? Well, like a meth pill or something? Yeah, it had like, it was like full of cocaine, pervitin, and like, Ukadol or whatever. Oh, good lord. They called it D-I-X or D-9. Yeah, so the Nazis were glad that like this pill created super soldiers, but they weren't satisfied with that. They wanted to go beyond that. The ultimate goal was to turn off the human kill switch. This was when the body reached a certain age and it started breaking down and it would eventually die. So if they could turn this switch off, that would mean that the aging and the degradation of the biological processes would just stop, which would mean the person would then become immortal. So back in 1942, there were German scientists and they were working on this, you know, process of searching up how to become immortal. You know, they went on Google, they looked it up. I'm just kidding. They didn't have it (laughs) back then. No, they were, they were researching into how to do this. Now, They decided that for the location of this research, that it needed to be outside of Germany. So at the time, of course, they were allied with Japan. And Japan, of course, was known for their insane experiments as well. For an example, Unit 731, which we did a Patreon episode over. Crazy stuff. Uh, Yeah, over the Japanese experimentations during World War II, which was absolutely disturbing and disgusting. Very Now, the Nazis decided Japan as the location, more specifically, right outside of Hiroshima, where they took over an orphanage. They considered children to be the perfect test subjects. Their bodies have yet to activate this kill switch, so they could study them before this happens. They would dissect the brains of both adults and children in order to compare them and try to find where the elusive universal kill switch was located in the body. They believed that they had found it. It was in the cerebellum, which is the part that controls all subconscious activity in the brain, which is the back part of your brain, right? The part that looks sort of like not like your brain. It's like sits at the bottom, you know? Yep, that's correct. Now, this is where shit got even worse, okay? The German scientists started a series of surgeries on children. 
and they began removing the portions of the brain, such as the cerebellum. Now, these surgeries resulted in several children dying, but that still did not stop them. They would take the bodies of the children and just dump them in the woods and shallow graves. They figured it was okay. They were orphans. No one would look for them or even notice that they were gone, which their disappearance did go unnoticed for a long time. The scientists continued on with these series of surgeries to try and perfect their method. One occasion, they were allegedly successful with removing the kill switch from a young girl. She then entered a state of comatose, but then revived miraculously. Now, there were some side effects of the removal of this supposed kill switch. For an example, uh, this girl lost the ability to sweat, and in the evening, she would go into a death-like coma. Now, the young girl's bodily functions would cease, and her heart would stop, but in the morning, her lifeless body would come back to life. Wow. That's crazy. So it was at this point, the scientists were like, hey, it's a success, you know? And they continued their research with more success with other subjects. Even with their supposed success, they had a ton of failed attempts, meaning many of the children were permanently impaired or it resulted in their death. That, of course, didn't bother the scientists at all. They even started messing around with a chemical compound that would deactivate the kill switch in adults. So they decided to test it out on the caretakers of the orphanage to see how well the chemical compound worked. Oh, Jesus Christ. So nobody at that orphanage was safe, adults or children. So while they were doing these experiments, the children that the scientists believed had successfully had this operation done on them, they started having some strange behavior. Now, there's a journal entry from one of the scientists, which we're going to read, and it says the following. They appear normal at first, just like any of the other children, playing, cheering, learning normally. But when separated from the others, they seem off. They stroll carelessly around with a blank smile on their face, their eyes looking straight at you. If approached from behind, their heads snap around with ungodly speed, and for a moment, you almost see an expression so vile on their face that it makes you want to cower. But then you realize they are just forming their dreamy smile again. Another thing is that they follow us, but only when we are on our own. After finishing on my typewriter and heading to my room, I am often given a fright by one of the children standing several meters down the dark hallway staring at me. When I go off to my room, she follows me, and I shut my door, jam a chair behind it, and then I sleep safely. It feels like they're ghosts at nighttime. Upon talking to them, I've noticed they've seem more dreamy, forgetful, and somewhat blank, as if the experiments wiped their memories as well. But it's not an innocent type of dreamy. Rather, something more sinister. They stare at you with wide eyes and ask you questions you never thought they would know. One asked, When your grandmother died, did she really leave you a gold-plated watch? It may seem crazy, but my honest answer was yes. So that right there was the journal entry from one of the German scientists. And these children are damn zombie psychics. They created something. These poor kids, man. Ugh. I wonder if these things are roaming around still. Well, there is a, I guess, like, rumor of a haunting kind of at this orphanage that's there. They supposedly say that if you go there, that you could probably see, like, these kids walking the halls and stuff. Where they all, like, live there still? They believe, like, their souls and stuff were still, still oh. there. Oh, I thought you meant like the kids that uh, they made immortal are still just like roaming around that area. I think some people do believe that, actually. Oh, good lord. Yeah, I remember reading that part and I'm just like, hey, I'm not going like, to go too much into that because I just wanted to talk about the experiment, which is just messed up. It is. It is messed up. At the end of the World War II, this experiment did get like, you know, stopped and everything. But the fact that they got away with it. Yeah. Hmm. So the cerebellum also controls your learning, 
sense of body position, balance and equilibrium, and fine movement coordination. Uh, when you have damage to your cerebellum, you could have loss of motor movement, the inability to judge distance, the inability to perform rapid alternating movements, and you'll have movement tremors and staggering wide-based walking. That's odd. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. But they said that they were the kids seemed normal when, like with other kids. They would play, cheer, they were learning normally. But it's when they were by themselves that they were totally different. That is weird. And then they also mentioned that at nighttime, their heart would stop moving? No, that was just with the one girl. Oh, her body functions would cease, her heart would stop, but in the morning, her lifeless body would come back to life. That is crazy. Yeah, so pretty much her whole body would like go into a state of just like, I guess comatose or just like it would just completely stop. So it was just like time would stop for her. And then in the morning time, it would just click right back on. See, this, it kind of gets me to think that maybe the whole cult was all made up by the government or funded by the government for them to try to achieve what the Nazis were doing to create an immortal baby. And that's why they had all these people say, hey, you know, uh, we're going to do these weird experiments on them, but under the guise of a cult that's funded by us secretly. Well, this started, what, before? It started around the same time. Oh, yeah, it almost started. Yeah, so the timeline matches up. But you have another, you have another uh, strange fact and finding, which is about the FBI, right? Yeah, so as I dig in, someone else did like some really good research on it. The guy's name was Matt Novak. Well, in part of his research, he did say that he filed a Freedom of Information Act request with the FBI for any files on James Bernard Schaefer, and he filed that on December 28th of 2014. A few weeks later, he got a letter from the FBI saying that records that may have been relevant to his request were destroyed on December 29th, 2014. Hold on. He requested records on the 28th, and they destroyed those <laughs> The next day, they were destroyed. And they wrote him and said that the records were destroyed. And he's just like, he has no idea why the FBI would want to intentionally conceal information about a 1930s cult leader. But it's a really bizarre coincidence that the records were destroyed the day after he made his request. Eh, man, it's the same thing that happened to the Project uh, MK Ultra files, right? They yeah. thought that they had uh, destroyed all of them, but come to find out, uh, some of the files were actually stored in, in like a, a barn separate from everything else. And they actually found some, and that's how they found out about the Project MK Ultra. Huh. So maybe the uh, FBI or government did have a hand in this, you know? Maybe. Mm. Wouldn't doubt it, considering, you know, the uh, Operation Paperclip, where the government brought over all of the... Nazi scientists and stuff? Yeah, all the Nazi scientists. Like, hey, we're going to give you asylum. You can come over and live with us, but you got to share all your secrets, and you won't be prosecuted for all your war crimes. It's completely fucked up, but... It is. The guy, one of them was uh, uh, the guy who founded NASA. Little uh, knowledge nuggets for you to talk about during your Thanksgiving dinner in front of your family. You'd be like, hey, did you know the Nazis created zombies? <laughs> Granny's like, yeah, listen here, I don't want to hear about no Nazis. You'd be like, shut up. <laughs> Anyways. All right, Dan, so tell us about this last strange fact and finding we got here. All right, so this last strange fact and finding that we have is an article that was dated back in December 22nd of 1940 in the New York Times. The title says, Colt profited on incurable case. State holds Schaefer got $15 a day for visits to a woman called Hopeless by Doctors. She died five months later. Metaphysician blamed lack of faith. Witness asserts, girl praises fraternity. <laughs> Break that down for us, please, in more simpler terms and what they were trying to say. Yeah, because that was a mess. New York Times, what the hell? Well, anyways, the state attorney general's office charged James B. Schaefer, leader of the Royal Fraternity of Master Metaphysicians, because he received for more than five months daily fees of $15 to cure a young woman who medical specialists had pronounced incurable. So pretty much he was like, hey, I can help you out for $15 a day. I can, you know, cure you. And she was told by medical specialists and all that, that, what she had was incurable, so she should probably just live her life. But James came in there, took advantage of her. For five months, he charged her $15 a day. And then she died? 
And then she died five months later. And then he said, oh, God, hold on. I'm not laughing. And then he, uh, whenever he got charged, he said, hey, it's not my fault. She lacked faith. That's exactly what he said. I mean, that's what uh, the Royal Fraternity of Master Metaphysicians was about, though, right? Like, yeah. If you think you you want a million dollars, if you think about it, you want it, you got it. You can't be freaking bashing them, Dan. We talked about um, manifestation. That's sort of like it, right? I believe in manifestation, but I don't believe in taking advantage of people believing in that. That right there, I feel like he took advantage of a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And it's sickening, you know? But then again, though, the fact I believe in manifestation, I don't believe in manifesting material items like that. I believe more in manifestation in the way of spiritual things. Okay. Yeah. It, it's sickening what James did in his cult and all of that. Uh, so now I guess we roll into theories. And I have a theory as to what I truly think happened. Okay. My theory is that the government had Schaefer as sort of like an informant, right? And so was Napoleon Hill. Napoleon Hill had connections with higher up political people. That we know for a fact. So this theory is that they were both in the pockets of the government and the government was funding them as a way to try and create an immortal baby behind the scenes. Because they were seeing what the Nazis were doing, right? And they're like, they're making all these wild ass claims. We have to do the same thing, but we can't do it ourselves. So they fund this cult behind the scenes. Nothing gets around to it, the government says, hey, we need to bring charges up against this guy, put him behind prison, put him behind prison for five years, thinking that he would come out and maybe change his ways. He doesn't, sticks with this whole metaphysical type thing, and they're like, hey, he's a liability, he knows too much stuff, we need to get rid of him and his wife, so uh, they stick him in a car, and they stick a uh, exhaust tube in there, make it look like he killed himself. That's my theory. Hmm. I have a question. Okay. So him and his wife, 59 and 55, Cecilia, they left the suicide note that they wanted their daughter to continue on the school. And that they see no other way out. Correct. How old was their daughter? Did they actually have a daughter of their own? Are they talking about like a daughter that they had on their own or were they actually like trying to refer to baby Jean? No, it, it wasn't baby Jean. It was actually a daughter of their own. Yeah, him and uh, Cecilia had a daughter of their own. I couldn't really find out much information about her. Uh, So that's all I got for you about that. So what do you think? Do you think the government was behind this? Do you think that uh, they weren't? Do you think he was just like a scientist with a large ambition and he sought to, you know, take advantage of people that weren't that knowledgeable? So he's like, hey, I can screw these people over for money and blah, 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 blah. What do you think? All right. So my thoughts on it was the reason why I asked like about the daughter, he had all this money. He had all these followers. I guess he ended up finding a wife, but he couldn't have a child of his own yet. Maybe he used this as an excuse to get a daughter of his own, but still while scamming people, they would give them gifts and all that stuff. So he would be able to spoil this daughter of his. And I mean, they gave what? $50,000 diamond rings, money, like pretty much all kinds of stuff. Pretty much anything she needed. She was taken care of. They had a private nurse to take care of her i'm guessing she would have probably had the best education too probably so it almost sounds like he wanted a daughter wanted to spoil her and everything like that then honestly i guess like after everything fell through he was actually able to have a kid of his own or i don't know like when did he he went to jail for what five years or so or five years yep then how long after did he die so he spent let's see 1942 he pled guilty and was sent to Sing Sing Correctional Facility, which is in New York, on May 5th. And he spent five years, so he got out in 1947, and he died in 1955. So eight years? Yeah. Yeah, so, because honestly, you don't hear anything about him being married at all, really, throughout this whole thing. So maybe when he got out, he got married, had a kid of his own. So maybe he just, he wanted a kid of his own, but maybe that was his attraction to these unwed mothers. He had a, he wanted children, but... Had a hard time having one himself, I guess. I don't know. Maybe. But, I mean, he still conned people out of money. Yeah. Still pretty shitty. Yeah, so I could believe the government thing because 
as you can tell, like no matter what goes on in the world, we're always competing to try to do things first. Go to the moon. If we really did go to the moon, (laughs) believe it or not, probably create the first immortal baby, mortal person, first AI. Like we're always wanting to compete to try to be the first. So I could see the government wanting to do that if they found out that the Germans were doing that. Germans and the Japanese. All right. Well, so you're kind of leaning a little bit towards the government thing, but not fully invested. I could see it, but I just think it's a con man who wanted a kid. That's why he had so he had 50 to like 100 unwed mothers live with them. Makes sense. Yeah. Or, you know, he saw them as easy targets. That too. Like he can't like it was like a two birds with one stone type thing. Yeah, he found out who his demographic was and he could uh, easily manipulate, you know, these vulnerable single mothers who want to find a reason and a purpose in life. So what they do is they go out and they uh, say, hey, oh, look at this man. He's offering all this good thing, a family, a home, something that I always wanted with all these other individuals. And look, they gave me these baby clothes. Yeah, I'm going to pay him some extra money. I'm a hardworking mother, single mother, blah, blah, blah. He can help out my child, you know, and that's who he preyed upon. Oh, yeah, the inner circle for the Storks, they made baby clothes and gave them to unwed mothers in the city. I mean, it almost seems like they wanted to wanted to be fathers, but I don't know. Yeah. All right, well, if you or a loved one was an unwed mother in the 40s and you were contacted by the Royal Fraternity of Master Metaphysicians and they wanted you to be like, hey, you want to come join? Or they gave you some baby clothes. Or if maybe your grandmother was contacted by them or was a part of it. Or if your mother was a part of it. Or anybody at all in your family was a part of this royal fraternity. Or had connections with Napoleon Hill or James Schaefer. Send us an email. We would love to talk to you. Okay? Because not much is known about this cult. So there yeah, you go. Yeah, there's very little information. All right. Well, do you have anything else you want to add to today's episode before we roll on to free talk i'm good for this episode for this topic all right i am as well so that is the end of the immortal baby episode i hope everyone enjoyed it and i hope you're all having a great week this week it's uh thanksgiving i hope you're spending time with your loved ones if you're not it's okay you know it's just another corporate holiday that they made for you to go out and purchase more items but hey there's nothing wrong with spending time with family and eating the meal or whatever. Don't feel bad if you don't got any family to go eat with. <laughs> yeah, let's listen to Dan. He doesn't have a family. Actually, you know what? You do. You have me. I, I have a family. There's not here in Texas. <laughs> yeah, he has a family. Not here in Texas. But he's not going back to Virginia. Uh, he asked for time off. I told him that he couldn't. No, I'm just kidding. No, he, uh, he isn't going back to Virginia. He's staying here in Texas, and he's going to partake in our Thanksgiving meals. So. You know what he told me? I was just like, I want to go home. I want to eat some of my mom's, you know, Asian cooking and all that stuff. He's like, you want Asian cooking? You go to Walmart. You go buy the Oriental style ramen packs and you eat those. I did not tell him that. Y'all don't. He pointed at me. He says like, they're the blue packs. I've tried it. They're okay. I bet it's better than your mom's food. And I was like, don't you dare say that to me. I've never, ever in my life tried the Oriental ramen packs. I don't even know what color they are, but you do apparently. Yeah, because I saw it. I had to try it and. They weren't that good. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, today's Thanksgiving. I hope everybody has a good time and that you bring up some of these subjects to your loved ones. Or, hey, if you want to, you know, over family dinner, just play us during your family dinner and eat. We can simulate that we're eating at your family dinner. Mmm, this is a really good turkey. Thank you. You're welcome, Aaron. That's going to get some, like, getting used to. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We got some big stuff coming up besides the video stuff. They have no idea what's coming up and I can't say it. I know we keep promising and all that stuff. We're trying to get it right. Just like they said on the Instagram comments. If we try to do the video stuff as good as we do audio, it's going to come out 8K <laughs> just because of Aaron. Well, hey, here's the thing. We can't run 8K. We can't even run 4K because of how much space the damn thing takes up. That's a lot of space the 4K video takes up. But you better believe that our quality of videos are going to be high quality. We're going to have film shots, okay? We're going to have after effects. We're going to have explosions, okay? It's going to be like watching a cinematic movie every episode, okay? 
they're going to say, holy shit, did Steven Spielberg or who's that, Scorchese? I don't know, one of those fucking people who direct movies. Did they direct it? No. Aaron, Dan, and Caleb did. Whoa, said super bad deja vu. I feel like we said that on here. I either just had a stroke in my brain or I've been in this exact same moment and had this conversation with you. But I know for a fact we haven't because this is like the second time we've used this interface and been in this area with all this stuff up. All right, moving forward, because uh, that's kind of freaky. Cause... Yeah, we just had a glitch in our timeline. Um, if you are a loved one, have had that happen to you, send us an email. We'd love to hear about it. Besides that, we're going to head off because I feel like my brain's melting. <laughs> so with that being said, I want to thank you for joining us. And again, thank you for your support. You are lovely. You are amazing. You are loved. If you're having any issues mentally, feel free to reach out to any one of your family members or any individual at all and discuss that with them. There's no shame in it, okay, at all. No shame at all. Don't go huffing uh, freaking car exhaust. Please don't. All right. Well, I want to thank you for joining us. And again, thank you for your support. So with that being said, Dan, you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone. <laughs>